He shed real tears. This is full human emotion. The love of God does not promise protection from pain, but it does promise his presence in pain because he has cried with us. And so we need not imagine some lofty, holy, magnificent, unapproachable light that is somehow removed from us and is over there. But all of that is with us and is here, especially when we hurt. That breaks every common thought in our Western world about what God is. And whenever we run into people and we ourselves have trouble comprehending God, especially the atheists, the young atheists, you talk to them more often than not, the God they describe to you who they do not believe in is that person somewhere over there. That's hard to relate to. I understand Sometimes that is hard to believe in. Well, what does he look like? Who is he? Where is he? Why is he? Why is all this going on? What I do know is that in and through Jesus, because of what he's done, our God isn't just somewhere in heaven waiting to come and get us and take us over there. He's with us. He sits in the room with us and he cries with us so closely that the Psalms, Psalm 56, 8 says that he gathers our tears in his bottle. That's nearness to his people. And so I don't know what he looks like. I don't know what kind of form he takes. I don't know where he calls his home. But I do know that the Bible says he's near to the broken hearted. And that he weeps with a mourning crowd over the death of Lazarus. And Melvin and Mary And Sarah, and whoever it be. However, we are not very good at mimicking Jesus here. We like to mimic his commands, his morals, his ideals, love. But it seems there's this disease, even among his followers, this, this paranoia of weakness and being seen in a place of weakness. And I've heard so many times the phrase, I have to be the strong one. When there's grief and there's mourning and there are tears, I hear so many times, I have to be the strong one. Now, I don't want to, I'm not some therapist and I don't pretend to be. So I don't want to hash some 30 minute rant about that phrase. But I do just want to point out that Jesus didn't feel like he had to be the strong one. Mary and Martha are so beside themselves, they're accusing him of killing Lazarus. And there are a bunch of mourning people there. And nowhere do we see Jesus look around and say, well, someone has to be the strong one. He breaks down with them. And I almost hate to say break down because that implies weakness. 
And I don't know that weeping is the same as weakness. We have termed it that way. Because somehow we've adopted Greek philosophy and think that the Stoics had it right. That a strong human shows no emotion. But that is a very, very, very dangerous place to go. I selected the quote in the bulletin that I did intentionally because it is so important for us to see that when we shut down one emotion, we shut down all the rest. And maybe it's not coincidental that we have a society full of depressed people, which is only growing at an alarming rates, because we have a society that is terrified of crying, weeping, and mourning. And we will do whatever we can to take the edge off of our pain. So we go to certain behaviors. We take on certain foods, certain drinks, certain thought patterns, certain lifestyles, whatever it takes to sort of soften the edge of pain. Because we don't want to feel it. And so if that's the reason we don't weep, then you're actually more weak than the person who's bawling their eyes out. It just, it struck me so deeply this week that Jesus joined, not just in a practical way, he's with me in my tears, but he was unafraid and unashamed to weep. It says, this isn't just, I shed a little tear, like sometimes I might during a movie, if it's that good. (laughs) This is, this is just full on, give me a box of tissues. Maybe more. So, look, weeping is not weakness, it's not sin. I think that's somehow in the church, we've sort of adopted this whole, well, I might not see it as weakness, but I don't think it's right that a Christian cries. It's been a month already. You know, they're in heaven. Come on, move on. It's not a sin to go through grief and to weep and to mourn. And as the studies show that tears actually release negativity so that we can have positive hormones be reinforced in our life. And those that don't weep in grief are actually holding in a ticking time bomb. That somewhere down the road, you are suppressing emotions and they're getting the stronger. You have to suppress them more and more. Eventually, you will get weak. You won't be able to hold them in. And it's not going to come in the form of a few tears. It's going to come in violence. It's going to come in rage. You're going to be maybe even just a complete alcoholic. It is so important that we do not shun other people because of their weeping. And we do not have the stigma that that's weakness. Or we think that somehow I must be a pretty strong chap because I can somehow press my feelings down. Those feelings are natural. They're God-given. Apparently, Jesus had no problem with letting them go. So if we numb pain, we numb tears, we're also numbing joy, we're numbing our smiles. That's just how it is. The emotions, all of them are intricately linked. You can't splice them and say, I don't like those anymore, I like these. Negative emotions, we unfortunately have positive emotions are these. Negative emotions are these. Well, negative emotions don't mean bad. It just means frowny. 
Unfortunately, this isn't just the case in moments of intense grief. This is the case on a much broader scale amongst Christians. The little things in life where we err, we mess up, we become monsters, we let the death and decay within us out upon somebody else. And rather than confronting the pain of the fact that I'm a sinner, we try to avoid that. We take the edge off of that pain. We don't want to come to that realization that I have done wrong. We never look at ourselves and weep over who we've become or over what we've done. That scares us. And heaven forbid, some of us might think that's weakness to weep over what I did. Or the other route, that's sin because Jesus forgave it. So don't weep over it. But it's very possible that we have a a Christianity in America that fails to live the joy and the fruit of the Spirit because we suppress the fact that we've done wrong. We just come to communion very just freely. We just run to the the elements. We say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me without ever pausing to think about what he forgave us of. It's not some law in theology that you have to name everything you did. Oh, heaven forbid that was the case. I mean, that would be horrible. I would for sure forget several thousand every week and I would be in trouble. That's not the case. He died for the sins of the whole world. He died for all of your sins all at once, whether you know it or not, right? Whether you acknowledge him, I mean, or not. But to think as detailed, as far as possible, the specifics that I've done causes a discomfort. It causes a a sort of, whether it's literal mourning and weeping or not, it does cause that, ugh, because there we see the dead Lazarus that was in me out. And like, oh, it's, the, it's gross. Get that thing away from me. We don't like it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We don't even want to associate ourselves with that. Because we've all week long talked about those people that do those things. And we hate to see that corpse within us. But I suspect that by trying to numb the realization of my sin, I'm also numbing the joy of my salvation. And that there is something immensely healthy about the confession of our sin between us and the Father and sometimes even between us and each other. I understand that that's not often spoken of because there have been other Christian traditions that encourage confessing to a priest. And that has had maybe not the most positive connotations, but we're not talking about that. And we shouldn't let that scare us away from naming our sins and weeping over those. It's okay to see what a wretch you are because Jesus weeps right there too. He's not arms folded going, you know, if you just wouldn't have mentioned it, I would have liked it a lot better. I liked you until now. It's not that at all. His arms open wider as we are more honest about ourselves. That's the whole idea behind Roll away the stone, but Lord, it stinketh. And when we come to communion in a minute, that's what we want to do. Roll away the stone, but, but, but don't try to avoid that. Because in confronting our own death, 
we're going to find that Jesus is presently tonight the resurrection and the Zoe. And it's not until we roll away the stone that his life can come in and we can experience the full depth, vibrancy, and abundance of his Zoe life. So we read before we started the service, Psalm 32. I'm going to read it one more time because this is what David's talking about. He's talking about, he's going to open by saying, I'm so happy I'm forgiven. Then he's going to say, but before I realized that, I was hiding my sin and it hurt me. Then I confessed and now I realize how happy I am. So Psalm 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That means atoned, it's dealt with. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. David is so happy about that. But here's what happened before. Verse 3. When I kept silent, when I ignored my sin, I tried to numb that mistake and all those feelings of grossness. I, I denied it. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. That's a Hebrew way of saying the depths of my being. There's nothing deeper than the bones. It wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Just that feeling. Of, you ever felt suffocated by your own faults? But you, just, you still won't admit it. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. But there's a change. I acknowledged my sin to you. I finally rolled away the stone. I let the stink out. And I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He didn't say, what? Come here so I can beat you. He forgave the iniquity of his sins. So tonight, I ask us to roll away the stone in our lives. And some of us might need a good cry. That's okay. If anybody judges you tonight, they weren't listening. And Jesus said, whoever doesn't keep my words is not a follower of me. So just, you know, let them judge themselves. (laughs) Some of us might need that good cry. Others of us just need to simply go through the simple practice of, I am a liar. I am a cheater. I judge. I envy. Or maybe even more specific, I lied about how much money I spent to this person so I could get reimbursed more. I don't know, you know, whatever your thing is. Like, just more specific even. And the more specific, the better. Because then it is released and the great joy of our salvation comes upon us. The tomb of Lazarus or the tomb of your sin becomes a womb for Zoe life. When we roll the stone away.